The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our DC. Good morning, Boston. This is Dave. On today's edition of the Boston Podcast, this is special and this is from the archives recorded in February. You're going to hear a chat between... Chachi Lopret of Back to the Beatles, his partner, Professor David Gallant, and Maddie Blake, who's featured on our Monsterland and Shawshank podcast. The two had a special crossover episode where they discussed the Beatles, the afterlife, the paranormal, the mystical, and really everything in between. I think you're really going to enjoy this. It's probably the best conversation I've heard all year. Here we go with a special edition, special edition of the Boston Podcast. Enjoy it and enjoy your day, Boston. You know, what I liked as a kid, you know, with Johnny Carson show, you'd have a guest just show up unannounced. It was usually like Bob Hope or someone like that. And you go, oh my God, Bob Hope, but the person who was supposed to be the guest has to move over for the special guest. We have a special guest that just walked in. We do. And I love this guy. His name is Matty Blake. He has a podcast on the Boston Podcast Network called Monsterland that I love. And here he is. He joined us. He happened to be in the neighborhood, so we invited him into the uh, Beatles, Get Back to the Beatles podcast. How you doing, Matty? I am so thrilled to be here. I'm a huge fan of this podcast. I listen to every episode. Oh, gee. Devour them with my son. We appreciate that. It's good family listening. He's 13. I'm turning him into a Beatles fanatic. He listens every night to a turntable, Beatles records. Isn't that great? Every night he goes to sleep to the Beatles. And what's his favorite Beatle? Who's his favorite Beatle? You know, he shifts. I think that's a beautiful thing about the Beatles. Like I know different times in my life, I've had different a different yeah. favorite Beatle, depending sure. on where you're at. But uh, he seems to be a Paul guy. My son is a very um, happy, positive child. Awesome. So I, I would say he's a Paul guy. Well, good for him. Chachi, this is yes. what you, you all in the industry veterans call a crossover, right? Yes. In yes. some ways, exactly. I'm, I'm so honored to be part yeah, of that. Because Matty's a radio guy. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So well, awesome. and this exactly. is a thrill, too, because I listened to all those years you doing your Beatles show. So this is when I saw you were on the Boston Podcast Network, I immediately said to David, I got to get on uh, with Chachi. This is huge Well, for me. I'm glad that you you are here, and I'm, I'm a pre- I appreciate that you love the Beatles and you love the podcast. But tell us about Monsterland, because you are here on pod617.com, yeah. Boston Podcast Network, and also on iTunes. Tell us about Monsterland, because I love the subject, but go tell us all about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a uh, paranormal perfect storm, as I call it, that's right in our backyard. Most people don't know about it. They know about the Bridgewater Triangle, which is pretty famous in paranormal world. But basically, it's just any area where there's weird, strange things going on. And Monsterland specifically is a place uh, in Lemonster. It's over 5,000 acres of a state forest. And it's got a long history of UFO sightings, uh, orbs, Bigfoot sightings, all kinds of high strangeness, uh, weird stories, um, a rash of suicides, um, disappearances. There's a military base right near there, the Fort Evans, that uh, dealt with uh, military intelligence, some possible weird mind control type stuff going on in the. So it's just like uh, if I if you were to write a, a novel about a creepy place, it's it's right here in Massachusetts. And I love that stuff. I'm a huge fan of uh, ghosts, yeah, afterlife, the supernatural. 
UFOs, and I didn't know that that was an area until I listened to your podcast. But uh, I live near Bridgewater, so tell me about Bridgewater because I drive. We that's where we get our sushi in Bridgewater. <laughs> it's a great sushi place. Yeah, the Bridgewater Triangle uh, was just voted by a kind of a think tanky type of paranormal list consortium as one of the most um, bizarre places on the planet. Seems to be another paranormal perfect storm like this where there's everything from strange creatures, little gnome people, um, you name it, it, it happens in the Bridgewater Triangle, or at least it's been reported to happen in the Bridgewater Triangle. Chachi, you know, I'm, I don't want to play the contrarian, but I will, and for this reason. I n- do not, I am not necessarily a believer, and I don't buy any of it because I'm afraid that it's all too real. <laughs> That's exactly why. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up in an area not too far from Bridgewater in southeastern Mass in Rehoboth, and there's a lot of um, wild areas there, and, and there have been a lot of places and people talking about how it is animated with a lot of troubled spirits, yeah. uh, especially considering a lot of that area was the site of King Philip's War, and there was a lot of disturbances of native burial grounds. And so... Uh, that a lot of that is sort of in that in in very low lying area. Very, I grew up around the swamps, and there's a lot that has always come out of that in terms of these studies, in terms of those who are much more in the know and are in touch with it. But I choose to not believe it because, again, I'm afraid that it is all too real. <laughs> well, I I would guess that Matty, you are a believer. I'm an experiencer. Yes. Okay. Oh, really? I want to yes. hear about that. But I will all tell right. you, I don't tell anybody this. I don't even think my wife knows this. But when I was in high school, 1972, I had a very dear friend, Nikki, and he got me into you know learn how to play the accordion. And he was murdered in 1972 oh. in high school. Italian. You know, his parents were direct from Italy. His mom lived for years in mourning. You know, dressed in black. Oh, and I still to this day visit his grave. And talk to him and say, hey, you know, and whenever I'm, I'm having a problem, I'll pray. Uh, as I get older, I find that I'm more spiritual, you know, as you get older. But I, I, I believe and I hope there's an afterlife. And what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, let's look at the Beatles. It's a Beatles podcast. Um, you know, George Harrison's wife said that when he passed, when he crossed over, her quote was, he lit up the room. Correct. What the hell was that? Yes. You know, and he firmly believed in an afterlife. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've had I've had experiences to that end. Um, I've had what what my partner Ronnie calls um, guided dreams, where my mother, who passed, has literally shown me something going on in my life while I was sleeping, only to wake up to have uh, to make a very long story short proof on my cell phone that that thing she had shown me while I was sleeping happened overnight at about three in the morning while it was wow. going on. So and I, I saw a full body apparition in my twenties, which changed my whole life. Um, matter of fact, at that time in my 20s, to bring up the Beatles again, I was going through, a, uh, I had my heart broken by a girl, and I was going through what I call my John Lennon uh, lost weekend phase, where I was like, you know, an atheist, I left the church, it's all fantasy, it's all make-believe, I was an angry 20-something, and I um, saw a full-bodied apparition, and it changed. It changed. So what does I that mean? About. You saw a dead person in ghost form? Yeah, so basically, like, you can see a ghost, um, a specter, which could be a... a you know, a, a part of a person or something that you think is a kind of a misty figure, but a, in the in the parlance of the paranormal, a full body apparition would be a solid thing that you see. Uh, and I saw it out of the corner of my eye, going down a pair of stairs, and I heard and saw, uh, you know, the footsteps go down the stairs and everything, but there was no one there. And was this in your house or someone? No, else's this is house? in a house uh, that I worked at. 
um, that w- had a, was supposedly haunted, which I did not believe. You know, staff workers that worked there said that they had seen it, and I was like, "Please, do, tell me so another fantasy." And then why I why do you th- why do you think that happens to you and not other people? You just you just happen to have that kind of if you call you want to call it a gift. Yeah, I, I shy away from that because I feel like it's it's like trying to make me special or something. But I will say, I grew up among it. I grew up around it. My my grandmother told said she had a ghost in her kitchen that she named. Um, so I would just heard those stories growing up. She had kind of prophetic dreams where she had a dream where she was carrying someone and she could never see who it was. And when she had that dream, somebody in her life would pass, someone she knew within 24 hours. So she hated having that dream. And then when I was about nine or 10, I had a uh, pet bird that I love very much as parakeet. And I had a dream, a very vivid dream, one of the most vivid dreams I've ever had in my life. And I had a dream that it, it died. It escaped in my school and died. And when I woke up, uh, I went to go see him and he was dead on the bottom of his cage. Holy so I knew I, I actually rejected at that point. I was like, I don't want, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. So I don't know. Maybe some people are predisposed to be a little sensitive. I've always been fascinated by the paranormal. It's always been a draw. Um, it's funny with the Beatles too. I've always been fascinated by the Beatles, and I feel like I was born in 1971. Okay. And I have this theory that if there is reincarnation, I might have lived in England and somehow known them or been around them or saw it. Um, as part of it, uh, even on the periphery, because from from day one, when I found out about when I put the headphones on of my older brother's records, I was done as I had once existed when I heard the Beatles. So wow. I, I don't know. There's always been this kind of spiritual connection I've had with them as well. Now, when you talk about dreams, of course, Paul had the dream of his mom coming to him saying, let it be. And he wrote, yep. let it be. Yep. John Lennon was a firm believer in UFOs. Yes. In the Walls and Bridges album, you can look in the liner notes, and he says, I saw a UFA, UFO August 23rd, something. 23rd, 1974, something like that. 1974, yeah. on the roof of, uh, of the New York uh, apartment building that May Pang was living. Mm-hmm. So um, there is some history there, and of course you have the Paul is dead phenomenon, which <laughs> is totally, you know, I would say it's manufactured, obviously. Chachi, doesn't, he, doesn't John work the line about the UFO into... Um, uh, Mama told me there'd be days like this or that yes. song, mm-hmm. right? I think so. There's UFOs, UFOs over New York, York and yeah, I ain't too exactly. surprised. Yeah, I ain't too surprised. See, Mama told me there'd be days like these. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that great? He had a, uh, I mean, what a lot of people, the, back up for one second, the sure. connection between musicians, specifically rock musicians, kind of postmodern British rock musicians and UFOs is staggering. There's a fellow named Grant Cameron who we had on our show who studied this and wrote a book about it. The Moody Blues, for example, said they were abducted as a band. The entire band said they swears they're abducted. John Lennon had a very significant UFO incident where he called a radio station. You can you can find that interview. Sure. You've probably heard it many times. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the thing was flying below the level of the tallest buildings. That if you were in a tall building, you could look down on it. And um, he talked. He he had some interesting things about automatic writing. So so Grant Cameron did the study about musicians. They are all left brain people. And uh, there was a doctor who took out implants, what he believed to be implants from people, and he said they were all left brain. So the highly creative brain tends to believe that they received messages. And John believed in automatic writing, as he said, we could hang out with Harry Nielsen. He'd say, I don't know where these songs come from. They come from, and isn't it funny that he had a UFO experience right. out, of, out of anybody, you know? And so Elvis, go back to Elvis, 1935, Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, reports that the day he was born, the moment he was born, a bright blue light shone over his house. And that's not just some wild folk tale. His father swore to it. Um, the doctor and attendant swore to it that a bright, luminous blue light shone over his house. Now, how many people have described 
Elvis as almost otherworldly, almost better than human in that 69 comeback special. Yeah. He seemed to transport to some sort of alien. And how many artists saw him and said, I'm going to do that right. and then keep the message going. The list of musicians who say they have some connection to UFOs is staggering. It goes on today. Um, Tom DeLonge who was at Blink-22, is heading up uh, the entire UFO consortium to the Stars Academy. Uh, Chris Martin says he receives messages. Um, Ace Freely from KISS said he was abducted. Um, it goes on and on and on. So you must have been blown away as I was, and maybe you were too, Professor, when they're showing pictures from Mars, because you always thought, oh, Mars, Martians. Right. And I would suggest that maybe when they offer that trip that you'd probably want to go. Oh, yeah. And in <laughs> fact, that's something that, that May Pang said John said. John wanted to go. When, when the ship took off, he reportedly was saying, uh, take me with you. Don't go. Take me with you. But then I would say to John, it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. <laughs> and it all began, uh, you guys know this, it all began with the flaming pie, quote unquote. Yes. So John was asked, you know, and, and you think it was facetious maybe, but maybe it wasn't. He was asked, how did you come up with the name of the Beatles? He said, well, a flaming pie came down and a little green man came out and told me that you shall name it the Beatles, B-E-A-T-L-E-S. Right. I mean, maybe he wasn't joking. The man said, you shall be Beatles with an A, and we are. We said, thank you, Mr. Man. Right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, and then Paul writes Flaming Pie in like 99, the album. Right, so right, underrated right, album, right. by the way. Well, you know, he was, um, I mean, Lennon's desire to sort of make those cosmic connections. Uh, he got beaten to the punch by one of his gurus, Timothy Leary, right, who has had his ashes shot up into space, mm. you know, distributed amongst the cosmos uh, in terms of... Um, it, predicting or talking about the Beatles as representing a new race, right, of mm -hmm. Superman. That's mm -hmm. how he termed it and everything else, um, that they were beyond what we could see and touch and feel and hear and everything else, right, that they were themselves this new being, if you will. Leary was talking about that. Um, and now he may have gotten to that consciousness with chemical help, uh, but he thought that was the way to see through all of those other rituals and Western tradition and education that was sort of closing those doors. And this was your gateway to open those doors of perception, right? From Huxley. Mm. So Maddie, do you believe that, you know, like when you, you know, if you have a friend that passed away that you can speak to them and they hear you? Cause I'm always praying to, to dead people that I've known, please show me the way, you know, I've, yeah. be I've become very spiritual uh, and I hope that there's an afterlife. But do you believe that you know when I'm praying to the soul of my sister that she's actually can I can actually hear me? I think it's the most important question we can ask ourselves is that question right there because it comes down to the fundamental um, nature of how we live our lives. If there's nothing, if it's meaningless, you can be a kind person for kindness' sake. That that makes sense. And that's and there's many atheists and things like that that live that by that code, and that's a beautiful thing too. Mm -hmm. um, but I have no doubt that it's true. Because in my experience, um, they're, they're very active on the other side with us, constantly interactive. Now, there's rules to that game that I don't understand. I don't understand why it has to be through a prophetic dream or through a symbol, why they can't just come down and talk to us directly. But I have no doubt there's just too much witness testimony, uh, incredible now scientific um, evidence that these things exist. You know, there's a great book called Fringe Fringology, I believe it's called, um, about how in the old days, the pseudosciences, as it were, um, were just people trying to prove this stuff who believed in it, maybe a little wacky. Somewhere along the line, because of the criticism of the scientific community, um, 
the people who are trying to prove the so-called pseudoscience are the ones actually using scientific methods. And the people who don't believe in it aren't. They're just saying that's not true because it's ghost. Or that's mm -hmm. not true because it's afterlife. That's not true because it's based on prayer. Mm -hmm. But they're not using the scientific method. And people are actually testing this stuff. There was a study just done about prayer, the power of prayer in a hospital, blind study. And the people did significantly better in a control group, even if you didn't know you were being prayed for. That's the thing because there's a placebo effect you think it would take, take form. But the people who didn't even know they're being prayed for did significantly better than those who weren't. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because I pray a lot. But let me ask you your opinion on mediums. You know, yeah. you, you have people like the Long Island medium. Yeah. And and I watch the show. I don't know how much of it is manipulated. But do you believe in those, uh, that there are mediums? Are there phony mediums? Are there really good ones? Do you believe that the Long Island medium you know, is for real in, in these things? Where do you stand on all that? I do, but with a huge caveat. Because um, there are charlatans out there, but I believe there are very talented psychics who can do this. However, I question who exactly they're talking to. Because I come at this from a Christian angle. Mm -hmm. um, I don't preach. I don't try to convert people just for me personally. So I think a lot of times when psychics are connecting to your beloved spirits, they might not be talking to your beloved. They might be talking to a more malevolent presence that will use things that they can know on the other side to get you down a path of, say, occultism or things that you shouldn't be dabbling in. So they will know that your grandfather calls you Chi-Chi or something, some nickname, right? <laughs> yeah. And they will use that. And they think they're t they think they're doing a good thing. They're talking about flowers and love. He's sending love and all that. And that's great. And I feel great in the moment. But the long run, where is it trending you? Is it trending you towards occultism away from focusing on your own life? So I'm always, the matter of fact, the better the psychic is, um, unless they are super attuned to what I believe to be a safe Christian um, or, or, or religious connection, mm -hmm. I, I think they're more scary to me the, the better they are because and, I wonder who they're huh. talking to. Well, I, I think that someone like, uh, you know, it's a very different world uh, between the Long Island medium and uh, uh, Tyler Henry. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's very good at doing this with celebrities. Very talented. <laughs> yeah. He's very good in Malibu with the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the Long Island medium will will kind of come across as I'm the I'm the neighbor lady down the street. Right. Okay. Right. right. And so I'm not coming at it from that angle. And she sort of is doing this with what we might call regular people. And Tyler yeah. Henry was at the was at the Wilbur, uh, yeah. not that long ago, right? And he takes it on the road. Um, which is a, a very strange kind of performance art to do that type of psychic reading, if you will, or medium work mm. in front of an audience. Maybe he just explains sort of if there is a method or his method or his background and how he feels as though he is more um, in touch with those uh, forces. But, you know, a lot of it is, is uh, as well, it's finding out what people's needs are. And those who also may be more... Uh, intelligence or uh, I forget the term that Maddie used uh, in terms of being a little bit more connected to mm. those forces, um, uh, you know, also have a need for it and know that there are uses. It means that you're more willing to use all phenomena around you and you're not necessarily closed off to it. Mm. You're just that much more receptive, okay? Which after a while, if it is something that you are very, very sensitive to, at certain point could be pretty overwhelming. It could yeah. be damn well mentally exhausting and spiritually exhausting. No doubt. Where is there an ability after a while, do you have a shutoff switch or a limit switch? When do you reach capacity? Right. Where then you might question, am I receiving the right things? You know, right. am, am right. I not able to discern this because 
I, we, you have, we all have internal circuitry that gets overloaded. Yeah. I think they'll someday find scientifically some sort of gene or commonality among these people who can connect with what we can't see. They all, there, there tends to be similarities between them actually, um, as different as they can seem on the surface, but I don't think you really need one in terms of close loved ones who have passed. I really don't. Psychics always say that you can do what I can do. I can just do it a little more, uh, but refined. A but guide is helpful. Is it not? Possibly. But I think Chachi, if you like open yourself up in a, in a consistent way, you will feel a connection to your past loved ones. It might not be as a psychic would say, like knowing a parlor trick, like that he used to call you Chi Chi mm-hmm. or whatever the nickname is, uh, but you will be guided and you will maybe even retroactively go, oh my God, that was my father. That yeah. was my father. That guidance, that voice was my father, that, that still voice inside of me or that coincidence that I'm thinking about two days later, that was my father. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like everyone has that access. Well, I think that the, um there's a lot of vulnerability there when the, the psychics who play the Wilbur, you have 3,000 people in there and they all hope that you're speaking to their loved one and that's a lot of pressure on the psychic because <laughs> people are paying money and they yeah. want to connect. And I never can remember my dreams, never remember my dreams, but sometimes I feel the emotion of something happened during the evening but I don't recall. Mm. Um, and I do speak to my father who I had a terrible relationship with and uh, whenever I'm in trouble, I find myself praying. Wow. And so, you know, I, I believe in the power of prayer, but who is your favorite psychic or medium? Do you have one that you say, this guy is it? Are there any like that? Or it's always, it's kind of hit and miss maybe. Yeah. I mean, John Edward was really good. Right. He, he got in a little TV trouble. Show. He had a little controversy at one point. Um, there are, there are like Christian mystics that I'm really mm-hmm. in, into that don't go out on the road and do it, mm-hmm. you know, for show and money, but they are definitely attuned to things that we don't see. And also they are attuned because of the job, because of the role they have of wearing the collar, they're attuned to the more malevolent things that we unfortunately see and being on the lookout for that too. Maddie, so, correct me if I'm wrong. Ma- Maddie's show is, is more about the search for truth than it is um, – Trying to connect with someone yeah. on the other side or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I just went off so, on a tangent. No, no, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great tangent. I wanted to hear the answer, but um, it's a huge part of it. But uh, the tagline for Maddie's show, which it changes every episode, thanks a lot, Maddie, <laughs> uh, makes it hard to produce. But <laughs> I like the one you said when you said we're not saying. Oh, darn! We're not I'm saying. Get it right. We ain't saying what, what it, it is. is. We're just saying, saying it's something. No, we're not saying what it is. We're just saying what is it. Oh, well, we're, asking, we're asking what it is. Yeah, I change it every week because I get bored. Yeah. Can I ask one Beatles-related question? Of course. And, and so if the Beatles weren't, if if Paul wasn't dead, which I'm willing to admit that he wasn't dead, even though <laughs> um, even though in scouring all the Beatles albums and playing them backwards when I was a kid, I was scared to death that he had died. Yeah. Um, the Beatles clearly embraced the mystical and embraced something on the other side and is do you do you think that there's something uh, among rock stars and people that are that crazy talented that it's almost as if they've achieved so much in this life they they start to get curious about the the next life and i think jim morrison you know famously dreamed of of dying and talked about dying all the time until finally obviously it became a reality mm-hmm. but is there anything to that well, yeah i mean what does an artist do an artist at its at its at his or her best, I would think goes inside. You go inside. It doesn't get bigger. It gets smaller in a sense. And so when you ask those existential questions and you're spending hours and hours playing this instrument, learning this instrument, there's some sort of metaphysical 
juju that goes on there. And I think these questions are naturally going to come up. You know, when you're sitting alone in a room trying to connect with whatever this human experience is, those things are going to come up. Mm -hmm. And I think some of them are pretty consistently, uh, again, tied to musicians. Mm -hmm. Like this, this spooky, you know, the whole crossroads the whole uh, the whole crossroads, you know, myth myth yeah. of of selling your soul to the devil. It's come up with Lenin. Unfortunately, people have said things like that. Um, and he who should not be named. There's there's all kinds of tales about him being possibly possessed. Um, and he was after the after the horrible uh, killing. He was he didn't even know what he did. Almost like Manchurian candidate mm -hmm. type of thing. So these things tend to, I think, when you're listening to music, you know, Revolution Number no. Nine, all these kind of ethereal things, they just kind of go hand in hand. It's it's hard to do one without drifting into the other. I would think. And some people say, you know, the first time I heard the Beatles, what do they say? They say it was great at rock, but they say I saw God. Like I saw, yeah, I, I saw something. Experience. I saw something. Right? But you know, before John Lennon died, and Professor, you might know this, he told Julian, you know, whenever you see a white feather, that's me sending you a message. And he has seen white feathers, and he even created the White Feather Foundation, Julian Lennon, because of what his dad told him. Because he believes that his dad communicated with him when he sees white feathers. Just and he has made it many instances of where a feather would just come out of nowhere, you know, and it would fall down, and he'd say, "That's my dad talking to me." I uh, love that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really difficult to sort of. Um, uh, understand that type of of adulation and fame which or automatically sets you apart from the rest of human beings from the rest of humanity and it it has to be it has to be at a certain point stifling and suffocating and the desire to leave that okay um, can take a, a very destructive or self-destructive turn it, it becomes too much if you feel as though you're you're in that element where where people are looking to you as providing an answer that the rest of their daily life is not giving them, that they're not getting. Mm. And so as a normal, quote-unquote, normal human being, you become that, that object that is somehow beyond the physical. You know, you're trying to exist, yet people look at you as that answer to everything in their life. It did horrible things to Kurt Cobain. It did horrible things to... Elvis, right, where everything yeah. collapsed in. And, you know, where the Beatles sort of depart from that, they always said, is they had each other, right? I mean, when people would go backstage at concerts to be able to see them and bring relatives who were crippled and hoping the Beatles would cure them Just by laying them, right? to yeah. touch them, right? I mean, you know, and, and then people get mad when Lennon said they were bigger than Jesus. Well, if you're treating me like that, mm, <laughs> right? Mm. Uh, it must be an incredible thing to 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 have dealt with, and the desire to escape that and somehow make it simple gives us. They think of me when you see a feather, right? Right. But don't think of me in maybe these other ways. It's it's going to be incredible to um, uh, to have felt that that pressure, and and some of it might be sort of the planned either tricks or manipulating the some of the song lyrics or the messages put in to give people what they felt they needed. You know, they needed to make sense of chaos, and, and the Beatles were very comforting that way, and then to sort of piece things together. And, you know, people kind of left the Paul is Dead for a while once somebody showed them how to sync up Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. Then, <laughs> yeah, then they did exactly. that for, then they did for, that for 20 years, years <laughs> yeah, right, right, 10 yeah, or 20 yeah. years. Yeah. And then when that fades, then they'll go back to, you know, yeah, the, the Paul point. is Dead That stuff. is actually true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who is that? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay.
We've had a visit <laughs> by somebody. There it is. Uh, Pretty yeah. amazing. So what are your favorite movies, horror films? or Because uh, I'm a big horror film guy, but the old horror films. Like you like the old. Oh, the old yeah, ones, yeah. Uh, House Bella on Haunted Lugosi Hill. Bella Lugosi. Yeah. I'm a big Spanguli fan. Oh. So, um, Vincent Price, the kind of Vincent Price is my favorite. All right, because I have a uh, <laughs> I have a thing at home, a, a picture of Vincent Price, uh, and then underneath a canceled check from a lumberyard that he wrote a check to <laughs> in California. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Vincent Price. I have his cookbook, which was pretty amazing. Chachi, and, I gotta say though, I, if you appreciated Get Out, may have brought the old horror movie style back. Great movie in some ways, you know. Which movie? Get, Get Out. Out. Oh, have you seen that? No. Oh yeah. It's really oh well, good. yeah. Yeah. Chachi okay. just thought yeah. you were telling him to get out. Yeah. I thought you told yeah. him to leave. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> how's, how's so brought back the old style? Uh, you know, professor? I think I think if um, going back to some of, you know, Chachi's favorites, if we're talking Vincent Price, we're talking even old uh, uh, Bella Lugosi or, yes. or uh, you know, I mean, th- there's a certain departure. What was it? Wasn't Silence of the Lambs the only sort of qualified horror movie to win an Oscar? And uh, But Get Out brings back, there's a little bit of campiness to it. Big it's time, it's, yeah. it's got it's got a little bit of Stepford Wives. If you consider that a horror film, which I do in mm-hmm. some ways, it makes what seems very normal, right? The normal suburban thing and it, it very, very horrifying. And there's a lot that plays into it with race and everything else. And so, there's some humor in it too. There, very funny. Yeah. yeah. There is some humor. I mean, one of the one of the villains, if you will, is I couldn't help get beyond the fact of, oh, that's 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 Milton Wadams from Office Space celebrating yeah. his 20th anniversary today, actually. Right? Now, what's more of a horrifying movie than Office Space, right? Yeah, right. That wasn't a comedy. It was a documentary yeah, right, right. of our lives oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So, but I imagine that, that you know, key, uh, was it Key or Peel or mm-hmm. George? Um, they, it's almost like a, a bunch of black dudes are sitting around going um, – you know what's our worst nightmare? You know, if if you push the whole racism issue to its outer extremes, it's like, you know, dude, we'll be walking into the and and there'll be these white people, but they're secretly keeping the black people as slaves. Yeah. And and th- th- to actually make a movie like that and turn it into a horror, it was pretty genius. It, it was, it just, yeah. yeah. One, what I really enjoy that scares the hell out of me is cemeteries, mm. and I hung out at cemeteries all the time mm. when I was a kid especially the Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, which Mm. was huge. You had Mary Baker Eddy with the phone line into her coffin in case she woke up. (laughs) You know, you have all those stories. And I I find cemeteries uh, uh, not only peaceful, but very, very scary. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I thought I'd throw that out. Yeah, we (laughs) used to, uh, 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 fourth grade, I mean, Rehoboth is one of the oldest towns in, in Massachusetts, right? And I think incorporated in 1643 or something like that. And there's a lot of great old cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one that was at the back of the playground in where, my elementary school in North Rehoboth. And the teacher took us out to the cemetery with newsprint and masking tape. And we put them on you the old the graves rubbings, to do yeah, grave rubbings. Make the rubbings. Yeah, right? exactly. And so at that point, the cemetery was demystified. And the teeth of the fear of it was taken out by, oh, this, these are works of art. So let me, you know, mm. we played in the cemetery that way, right? So, you know, I think that uh, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to sort of wanting to engage what you can't understand and what seems to be frightening, what seems to be a void, and to encounter it in a certain way makes it a lot less mysterious and a lot less frightening, and you figure out, well, how can I use this to make meaning in my life, mm. right? So I think that's... 
But it's a great you know. cemetery. Is a great place. Is talk about how Maddie and his partner Ronnie on the podcast are just naturally curious. But you have to be curious. And cemeteries are a great place to wander through if you're just curious. Like, mm-hmm. well, well, Professor and I live in the backyard of one of the most, you know, epic Jewish cemeteries uh, in the world. I think <laughs> I think every Jewish uh, dead person I know is buried there. <laughs> oh, that sounded dark. Anyway, but there's a smaller. <laughs> there was a smaller one nearby, and I just found myself like wandering by there with my son. And it's like, well, look how, you know, this guy died 100 years ago. And then oh, this guy died 150 years ago. And then, then it became, and there were certain clues as to what the person did during their life. And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy, and here's his sister. And and it gets you wondering. And there's, there's something really wonderful about um, being able to put any kind of texture on this person's life when really all you have is this is this stone. Yeah. Do you know what's going to be on your tombstone, Chuch, since you think about it all the time? No, absolutely not. But I've always <laughs> prayed that someone, a friend of mine, would come back after life and and tell me what the lottery number is going to be. <laughs> you know, help me out. <laughs> you know, but death is such an interesting thing. I'm so afraid of it, but yet I'm so attracted to documentaries and things like that. And uh, Maddie, do you want to be buried or cremated? I think cremated. I, I or I saw this new thing now where they're we're going to run out of space eventually. You know, if society keeps going on, so they're they're in these new programs like you can become a tree. They basically compost you and oh plant God. you, and you can be part of a tree. You know, <laughs> uh, I find that interesting. John Lennon was was cremated and scattered. Um, yeah, like graveyards for me are fun in terms of part of my career is this whole paranormal thing that's happened with me, but. Um, I find nothing in them, like I, like even my in my mother's case, she there she has a stone in the town where she was born and raised, and um, I find no connection to that to that place really? with her. I don't really don't. I think when the when your body is your shell here on earth, and you are you are she is flying, she is everywhere but there hmm. to me. And the and the other thing that's important, uh, animals. I have many pets, and I've had many cats that I've just loved, just yep. like family. Yep. And we have chickens, and and I've had birds when I was yep. younger. And uh, so I wonder about Rainbow Bridge and yeah. if, if animals can communicate because I like animals more than people a lot of the uh, time. Yeah, we don't deserve dogs, man. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a dog. I love the little guy. Yeah, I think they're souls. I do. I think there's some – I think they're, you know – maybe a higher soul than us in one way. I was going to say lesser soul in terms of intelligence, but uh, maybe they're a higher soul. Maybe that's what we should strive to be. Like they're just unrelenting love and forgiveness and just wanting to be near us. You so know? do you believe we're all reunited after the after we're gone? Yeah, I'm starting to believe a little bit. I, I would never presume to know, of course, but um, I'm starting to believe a little bit in in this um, interesting Christian mystic um, idea that I read one time from this particular fellow who kind of says there's only so many souls and it's almost like a bartering system. It's almost like a major league baseball trading system going on and the souls shuffle and come back or they don't. And and I, I, there's something to that, I think. I think we maybe there is some, more people believe in past lives than don't on the planet. And you believe um, in reincarnation. I'm not sure, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And I have a lot of... Things that are unexplainable to me in terms of yearnings and 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 kind of almost memories that don't exist and what is deja vu and all mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So cool. I wouldn't be shocked if I get to the pearly gates and they say like, yeah, you had you did live in England and died in 1969 and the Beatles are at their height. That's why you love the Beatles so much or whatever. Really right. And correct me if I'm wrong, Professor, but I recall George Harrison. His thing was. You kept coming back to Earth until you got it right. Yeah, that's the old Nirvana, the old uh, Hindu uh, belief, right? You just keep, yeah. right. keep coming back until you reach Nirvana. Right, yeah. right. And that we we had we have we've inhabited a body before, 
and what we're yeah. doing now in this consciousness is another step. And then yeah. there's another step that we're going to take. And that kind of aligns with there are only so many souls out there. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, know, right. That we're, we're taking a piece out of maybe an oversoul. That's an old Emersonian mm. concept. Mm. Uh, that we're just sort of inhabiting a piece of it, right, at a certain particular moment. Grab a soul, man. Yeah, and perhaps George <laughs> reached that point with the bright light as yeah, he passed. So he, he, had, he, he was clued in a lot of important things, that man. And his last words were two words. Uh, what was it? Three words. George's last words before he passed, Professor. Oh, um, there were three words? Why, did I, why do I remember love everyone? No. Love one another. Love one wow. another. That was yeah. the last three words he spoke, and then I do remember that Olivia said there was a bright light yeah, in the room. Yeah, he lit up the room, she said. Pretty amazing. I love that. I love that. It is amazing. So, what are your favorite episodes of Monsterland, which Ooh. you can find right Ooh. here on Pod Six One Seven, the Boston Podcast Network? Uh, any particular episodes that anyone listening now that you say you know, go listen to this one. This is a good one. Grant Cameron, the author who we had on, he te- he talks a little bit about the connection uh, between rock and roll and and mm-hmm. kind of aliens and UFOs. That's a lot of fun, among other things. Um, David Weatherly, I would go look up that episode. He talks about uh, shadow people, black-eyed children, and then I tell him uh, a very spooky story and experience I had uh, with potential black-eyed children or these kind of demonic, trickster, demonish type of entities. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then um, just last night was a great episode. We had MUFON. MUFON is the um, Mutual UFO Network. It's the consortium of, of, of you know, a database of all UFO sightings and re- incredible uh, evidence. And we interviewed MUFON's go-to video and photo analyst. He is a, an astronomer, scientist, super bright guy, brilliant. And when someone has some sort of video or photo evidence, they give it to him and he analyzes it. And um, we had him on and he's this super skeptical scientist. You know, he he takes the most compelling evidence that's out there right now to date in the UFO space. He goes, well, the problem with this video is da 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 and it could be this and it could be this. And you're like, oh, damn, I was hoping he's going to say. And in the next breath, he admits to us that he believes he had an implant, an alien implant, take it out. And I won't spoil the ending, but it just gets more and more shocking as he goes. So this super high-minded scientific skeptic um, in the next breath tells us he starts to experience things. By the way, very common in in ufology, there's a show right now on History Channel called Project Blue Book about Dr. Alan Hynek. Um, He ran Blue Book for the U.S. Air Force, started as a complete skeptic. He was brought on to basically prove it was all BS. And through the process of working on these cases, he starts to experience high strangeness. He has a UFO sighting himself. He took a picture of a UFO out of a plane that he felt was stalking him. Um, On and on and on. And these guys are brilliant. These are no dummies. So do you believe the government is still hiding information? Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think hiding, you know, I don't know who the cabal is. I don't even know if they know, a lot of people know what the other hand is doing. Mm -hmm. You, You know what I mean? I don't think there's necessarily one group that's hiding all the information. But clearly over the years, as is evidence just now, almost two years ago, with what we reference all the time on the podcast, Dave's going to kill me because I say it all the time, but the government released through the New York Times um, and several other publications, actually, uh, I think the Washington Post uh, and a couple other, the Pentagon invited these journalists in in December of 2018 and released what's now called the Tic Tac UFO video. And it is a Pentagon-released video to the general public of a aircraft carrier being 
hounded by a UFO and two fighter pilots get it on film. It's you can David will call it up right now and it's stunning video. This thing was moving at speeds that they can't understand. Um, you could hear the pilots going, "Look at this thing! What's it doing? It's rotating in weird ways." It, it was going. It was dropping ten thousand feet in a second, right over the aircraft carrier. Um, and this is one of hundreds and hundreds of cases that we in uf ufology know about um, that is now starting to get leaked out to us. So I think there's no question that they know there's things out there that, they, and we're looking at the video now. Um, that's the what they're calling the Tic Tac UFO because it kind of resembles a Tic Tac. So you see that thing move at speed, you'll you'll your jaw. Mister Yaz, for the listeners, where, where are we at? Because we're looking at this video. Are you on YouTube or something? Yeah, you can you you can you, I mean it's a public video so it's it comes up on many different sites. There but, it goes. Uh, now you, we're we're looking at now uh, what you'd hear yeah, too. If we, I'm sorry, what we what you'd hear right now is the pilots. Um, I don't know if we can get volume on that, David. If you can hear them talking about it, um, as as the fighter pilots, these trained fighter pilots, saying they go, "Look at this thing, man! What is this?" What uh, look what, at it. What airspace was this observed over? I want to say it was uh, Southern California, San Diego area, but I could be wrong on that. Ronnie will kill me if so I'm wrong off, on that. Like the Pacific. I believe coast. so. Yeah, I believe so. Um, it was the air. It was the um, aircraft carrier Nimitz, I believe. And again, this is you know New York Times, Washington Post. This isn't uh, you know some fringe UFO yeah. video sure. blog. You know, it's here we go. Times. Here's the pilots. Yeah. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. There's a whole fleet of them, he oh says. Oh, my gosh. are going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, thank you. Wow. Isn't that stunning? Isn't that, that's amazing. And no one knows. I mean, the I, general I, public could have cared this. less. They could have cared less. Well, if there's a good thing, it's rotating. And according to Tom DeLong, to bring back the Beatles music connection, sure. guys, Tom DeLong, again, from Blink-182, quit the band to do this full-time. He was contacted by ex-members, high-level government and, and military officials, um, Louis Alessandro being one of them, um, former CIA, uh, and he is running something called To The Stars Academy, and they are promising, this is the Harry Reid-funded, this is an offshoot of the Harry Reid-funded program, by the way, $22 million to study this stuff, um, they are promising us over the next few years they're going to keep releasing more of this stuff that the government has. So wow. you asked me, do I believe the government was hiding stuff? I don't have to believe it. It's right there. It's right Thank there. you, New York Times. Well, I don't know if you guys remember, but many, many years ago, you probably, you guys are young, but there was a comedian in Boston just by going by the name Fred. No. And he was just, huh. and he was funny. He was in the, the WB Sent Comedy Riot. Mm -hmm. He was he competed with us. I think he won... Uh, Great comedian, really funny. Everyone thought he was going to be huge. Right. And he lived in New Hampshire, and he was abducted. Really? Several times, if my memory serves really? me. Really? He just went by Fred, and then he just stopped doing comedy. He was abducted several times. So maybe, uh, you know, at some point I you look it up. I would love to get Fred on. I have yeah. no idea where he is, but he was in New Hampshire, and he just went by Fred, and he was hilarious, but he just stopped after he was, he claims he was abducted several times. Now, it's, wow. I, this was a long time ago, so I hope I got it right, but I do know it was Fred, the comedian. That's all he went by, and he was abducted. So it does happen, apparently. So did he Did he figure out that there's nothing funny about abduction? I don't know what the story is. Again, it's, it's very, it's way back in my memory, but I never forgot the fact that Fred kind of like disappeared because he was abducted. Well, you know, going back to my, my, my fear 
my my fear and rejection of the study or the influence of the paranormal is from the fact that it could be all too real, right? Yeah. And you could, you know, uh, round this out with the story of, of John Lennon and why he changed uh, uh, originally the song uh, Sexy Sadie from the White Album mm-hmm. uh, was supposed to be called... Maharishi. But he didn't because he was afraid of what? Getting sued. And he <laughs> thought the Maharishi... Karma. Had yes, that the Maharishi could manipulate karma to mm. use negatively mm. against Lenin. That he had the uh, the forces at his command, at his will. There he oh, is. Wow, we're, we're watching it. Boston Good comedian. Job, Dave. He went by simply Fred. That was, quote unquote. So that was his his uh, stage name. Wow, Boston comedian, no, see, UFO abductee, Fred Wilson. Now, Chachi, I remember Simply Fred. Yes. When you said Fred, I didn't, but I remember Simply Fred because yeah. it was a play on Simply Red. Way to get him on the podcast. Wow, that's incredible. Missing time. Yeah, he was missing time. But unlike them, and by the way, Fred May Pang, in the Lennon UFO sighting, basically describes, with the way she tells it unintentionally at the time, because she didn't know what she was saying, but now that we know so much more about these cases and there's a database, she basically describes a missing time or an abduction possibility with her and John, but the way she describes it. Wow. There's something called the Oz effect that these people talk about. When they see a UFO, time seems to stop. They seem to lose time. Really? Um, they feel different afterwards, and she, ex- she expressed that. She said, there was no one else in the buildings, it was bustling Manhattan. Yeah. And we were watching this thing and like nobody was in their windows. Nobody came out. It was like everything got really quiet. That is that is very common with abductees. And it is recorded that uh, many people called the police yes, to that's report right. this. That's right. Yeah. And he had a friend call mm-hmm. the police and the papers because he didn't want to be like, hey, John Lennon. There's oh, there's uh, McDonald's. McDonald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Country. Well, I'm going to watch this documentary. Please welcome. Okay, a nice round of applause for the comedy of Chachi. What what years are we talking here? Oh, uh, this is back in the comedy riot eighties, like late eighties, maybe. Yeah, those this, are some yeah. big mullets. Yeah, didn't the mullets give it away? Yeah. I thought that this guy, this guy, simply Fred, like some of the others, like maybe Anthony Clark. Did he come out of Emerson? Maybe simply. Fred? I do not know that, Dennis, but he did like, play Dennis in the Larry. comedy riot. Okay. Of which uh, I hosted with Mark. Oh my God! And uh, and I remember he just disappeared because he was abducted. Wow! I gotta get, we gotta well, find yeah, him. We gotta get to the bottom. We gotta find him. Yep. I would uh, suggest that he's still alive. I would hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Pretty wow. amazing. Simply Fred, Boston comedian who was abducted in New Hampshire. I'm gonna watch that, and we're gonna do a thing on that. That's amazing. Yeah, have him on. Let All me right. know if he's still around. Will do. He's a great guy. Thanks he for the heads up. So funny. Getting a producer credit. Very Chachi. funny. Thank you very much. <laughs> But boy, uh, this subject is, see, he won the uh, comedy yeah, riot. Yeah, wow, there it Wednesday is. week-long Wing comedy, long comedy riot, riot. Of which uh, I hosted with Mark. Surprised you're not in that. Yeah. And here he is there talking about it, the experience. So many people have been abducted. There was that couple yeah. in New Hampshire that were abducted. Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah. And um, Betty Andreessen, too. There's a lot of Massachusetts, New Hampshire-y um, Cases like that. Those cases are stunning. Betty and Barney Hill is stunning. There's a really disturbing piece of audio that I wish I had never listened to of, um, you know, these people, I've said this from day one, and David's heard this a million times, but for me, when it comes to, you know, Bigfoot and UFO abduction and these things that seem outlandish, what always gets me is the, with exception, there are exceptions, there are kind of wacky people, but the believability and the earnestness and the heartbreak of the witnesses. 
that gets me every time. I just can't reconcile that. There was a big conference I had at MIT in the early 90s about this stuff, and this very um, successful professor at Harvard had it at MIT, and he was mocked for it. And he said, okay, but here are the numbers of people that say that they're abducted. There's a million of them about. And he said, and, he, and they all tell the same tale. So if you're laughing at me right now because you're a colleague of mine and you think it's outlandish that what's happening to these people is that little green men are coming down on UFOs, then I ask you, what is happening to them then? We must ask that question. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so yeah. like when I hear a witness tell these tales so powerfully, it really moves me. And and so that's, I mean, that's, I guess what we're trying to do on the, on our podcast is give these people a voice and, and um, because it is, it's, it happens all the time. And, and um, back to my original point is, is Mr. Hill, who believed he was abducted, they were a mixed race couple. He was a very successful African-American businessman. He was with the NAACP in the area. These were not, you know, farmers with one tooth type of thing. Yeah, right. They were erudite, successful community people. And there is a clip of him under hypnosis going through the memories of that. All they remembered in their conscious life was a white flash, again, very common, lost time, very common. And under hypnosis, there, you can get it online, listen to, uh, Barney Hill's um, abduction regression therapy, and it is disturbing. The fear in that man's voice, the screaming fear is tough to listen to. So, you know, I just, when people go like, oh, abducted by aliens, little green men, I, I always, I, I, that gets my kind of fire up. You know? Well, it's born from something. Right. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's got to be a reason yeah. for it. And it could be trauma that is repressed, but it, but even that seems difficult to swallow when you have multiple witness abductees. Mm -hmm. That's hard to believe. You know, both of them had, both of that couple had same similar trauma and manifested it in the same fantasist uh, illusion. It seems mm -hmm. hard to believe. Yeah, they tried to crack it, but they couldn't. They, yeah. they were, you know, that really happened mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And Simply Fred as well, apparently, was Poor still Simply watching Fred. the video. Unbelievable. Uh, I can't see you uh, introducing him, Chachi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, make sure you get him on. But boy, well, welcome to another episode of Monsterland. Wow. Uh, this man, this <laughs> ran deep. Took over. <laughs> this ran deep. Maddie, before we go, can yeah. confirm or deny rumors being spread on social media that after you left our Westwood studios last night, you encountered something in the sky? Wait a minute. I don't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to really? talk about it. On the next episode of Monsterland, maybe yeah. you're gonna I, hold I, it. For the, okay, you don't have to do it here. I mean, this is no. We, we I thought I saw something, but I don't think I did. Okay. But Ronnie was making fun of my partner because I got all fired up, and then it appeared not to be what I thought. Well, I will tell you, I look you're forgiven. <laughs> That's like when you go see an action movie and you're coming out of the action movie and you race for your car <laughs> yeah. to get the keys in because somebody's chasing you. I do that all the I, time. I, I will tell you that something in the atmosphere around here, this area of Westwood, messes with Chachi's GPS. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it took me to Google voice. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, where are we? That's why I texted him, we'll be there at 5.04. Yeah, yeah. And we got here at yeah. 5.20 something yeah. because yeah. the GPS. Yeah. The little known Islington Triangle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but boy, what a pleasure, Matty, to have you here. Oh. Monsterland is right here on pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe and so you get every episode as I do. And uh, it's such a pleasure, my friend. I love this subject because I, I want to live forever, and I, I hope there's an afterlife. And there's got to be aliens because there's multiple universes out there. You know, it goes on and on and on, and we're just reaching farther and farther out there. And we saw Mars, and there's no Martians there. But they could have been. I think they discovered some water on the planet. So uh, it's not very far-fetched. And we certainly have some examples of something going on. Mm -hmm. And you can hear all about these, uh, these uh, occurrences on Monsterland, 
with Maddie and uh Boy, what a pleasure to have you here. This was a thrill. I will talk. I will. I will drive a thousand miles to talk Beatles with you guys. I <laughs> loved it. Anytime anything like this comes up, give me a call. I'll be back. So, when were you born? What year? Seventy-one. So you were born in seventy-one. Yep. And how were you uh, exposed to the Beatles? Your parents? Loved oh the man, no. My parents were squares. Although my dad's going through this renaissance late in his life where he's being turned on to all this stuff and going, "God, I never knew." Because I go, "Dad, this was right in your prime." But he was listening to you know pop. Uh, not not Beatles pop, like sure. uh, not cool pop, but you know, kind of like more like Pat Booney world, uh, okay. Johnny Mathis world. Um, but I had the older brother that you always hope for, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, my older sister and older brother left; they were gone college. My brother was off doing who knows what, and they left the cliche the collection records. of the records with the big seventies hi fi stereo headphones. And I probably the first record I ever put on was that Red Greatest Hits Beatles album, mm-hmm. and um, I was never the same. Favorite Beatle? Right now, again, like I said at the beginning, I've, I've different times in my life. You oh, know, right. when, when I was in love, I was so Mister, you know, Ring, Ringo, Paul. Everything's mm-hmm. happy, and then I went through my angry John Lennon phase. Maybe now, oh, I know. I, I would say I'm in a big time right now. Ringo phase because I just started uh, about six months ago. I started taking drum lessons. I know you're a drummer. You take drum lessons. Yep. Fantastic. At yes. 47 years old. God bless that was you. A lifetime dream. I just never had the time or opportunity to do it and I'm I'm down there every oh single day and I mostly I told my instructor I said Ringo let's go teach me everything he can do and okay. I want to learn from him he was a lefty he was a, a righty who played lefty I know and please do a paradiddle for us no you don't have to do that <laughs> <laughs> triple it triple it da, 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 da. Exactly. come together that's all I got and you know <laughs> you're starting at an older age so you know it's you have to coordinate the bass drum with yeah the, and I have always wondered what's the relationship between a bass drum and the bass guitar player Mm. Um, but so there's a lot to think about. But Ringo yeah. always started with his left hand that made him so unique as opposed to other drummers. But isn't that great? Because I do have a Ludwig kit at home, but we don't play it. I just look at <sighs> That's it. That's my dream. It's like, it's Is like it the black Ringo and kit. white, like the yep. pearl? Yep. Oh, my God. Just, we just look at it. Chachi, you've seen the, oh. the video there where um, uh, oh. Ringo breaks down his drum progressions with Eric Clapton yes. for um, what, Ticket to Ride and for Come Together. That was um, mm-hmm. from yeah. the Rhythmics. Dave um, Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart yes. from the Rhythmics. That video is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good video. Now, what do you play? What do you play normally? Like when you're looking at the Ludwig, but what do you I play? I don't play. You don't play anymore? No. No. Why? I'm too busy and there's all right. it scares the chickens and the cats <laughs> and <laughs> they all freak out and you know, so well, we, my, we just look at it's a brand new kit. <laughs> it's hardly been used. It's brand new, it just sits oh in my, my living God. room. Steph says, Do you want to put that kit away now? Maybe you should sell it. You never play it. I'm like, no, it's my oh, I'm gonna, that, I'm a, that, I've got my eyes on that kit, man. A, I'm gonna buy one of those. First like, kit I owned was a Slingerland, but uh, okay. I have a I have a Ludwig. And, uh, so I wish you the best in your drumming. I love it. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Well, that's fantastic. And Maddie Blake, uh, Monsterland on Pod Six, and the name of your uh, co-host, Ronnie LeBlanc. Ronnie LeBlanc. Now, what's his uh, he, specialty? He's an author, paranormal lecturer. He wrote a book called Monsterland, thus the name of the podcast. Ah. And did you grow up around here? near there? Um, near there, I was I was born in uh, Natick, Mass. Oh, okay. okay. And then we moved around a little bit, but um, I at one point I lived in Stowe, Mass, so we're on the Hudson Line. So I was not too far from Lemister. Went to school at Neshoba Regional, right down the street from there. So and, route, route two, kid. Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Route two. Yeah, yeah. And does yes, you're married. Yes. And does your wife freak out by what you do, Dave? Tell, tell them what I call my wife. Yoko. 
Her, Get out of here. Yoko. Her name is not Yoko, but I've called her that for years. It was in my, my old stand-up Oh, my God. Day. I actually thought her name was Yoko. No. For, oh, my God. No. You thought no. her name was Yoko? No, no. I call her Yoko. I had a radio show here in Boston. I called her Yoko. and uh, She's it's not just, Japanese. No. Yeah, it's a term of endearment. Yoko. John and Yoko. I love Some, her like John loved Yoko. That's all. And okay. she broke up my band. Okay. Well, will you be putting out, <laughs> will you be putting out an album with full frontal? Yeah. Uh, for two versions. Not, not anytime <laughs> soon. But we do spend a lot of time in bed uh, just doing nothing. But so. does she freak out at the fact that you are susceptible to these uh, occurrences? She, well, like- she's she's become um, a convert. We had a very powerful thing happen with our son, which I'll make very short because we're, we're we're trying to say goodbye here. But um, we, we she when she. The fact that my son exists due to medical situations with her is a miracle. They, we still don't understand how we had him. He, there's this little window where suddenly she was able to have a kid. Good for Whoa. you. Good for and, you. And the day he was born, it was a difficult situation going on. It wasn't happening. And it was kind of getting a critical. It was like 24 hours. And she looked at me. She goes, I can't do this anymore. So I went out and yelled at the doctor. I said, you got to do the C-section or something. And he goes, and he's freaking out. We're arguing. And all of a sudden, he goes back in to show me why we're not going to have this child uh, with a C-section or whatever it was we're fighting about. And he goes, oh, my God, this baby's coming. The baby came, like, out of nowhere. Well, that was 6.05 a.m., and um, my father-in-law was speeding to meet us, um, and his wife, my wife's mother, had passed. He pulled over at 6 a.m. because, as he said, uh, his wife was telling him something was wrong, pull over and say a rosary, and that was at 6.05 a.m. when my son came out out of nowhere. So that changed my wife's... uh, so Not that she she's didn't, a believer. Yeah, I think that really affected her, and she looks at Max as kind of a miracle too. So, um, wow. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. good for you. Congratulations. Good Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? I do want to say that my favorite TV series is The Monsters. Oh, I love the monsters! This fella who um, <laughs> produces this comes show. up all the time on Monsterland. Josh. People are obsessed with that show. Uh, yes. Howard Stern's obsessed with that show. I love it. This fella that I work for, uh, Kevin Burns, he produces The Curse of Oak Island. I know Kevin ancient, Burns. You know Kevin Burns? You mean he's an older guy? Yeah. He did yeah. A, a Barbara Streisand video? Yeah. I know Kevin Burns he from pre- the BCN days. How, oh, because well, he was in, he taught in Boston for a while. Yeah, but my <gasps> boss was his friend. David Bieber was his buddy. And okay. I remember there was a box of Remembering Barbara Streisand VHS tapes. Yeah, he made all closet. those like document. Uh, and he's done well. He, do, he Well, so I do a show. Uh, I work. I, I host a show on the History Channel. Um, called Drilling Down, which is a companion show for The Curse of Oak Island. Yeah. And Kevin Burns produces that. He produces The Curse of Oak Island on my show and Ancient Aliens. He um, is obsessed with the monsters. He he he. That was like his favorite show ever. And he, he he. Does he own the electric chair, or is that Eddie Gordetsky? Somebody owns I'm the electric sure. chair. Sure, he it, Kevin might. He owns a lot of Hollywood memorabilia. Yeah. He has yeah. like a museum. I'll tell him I said hello. I'm going to tell him I did a podcast. I'm with you. obsessed with the monsters. Oh my god! I, I in fact, <laughs> on, it was running on Sunday nights from eight to ten for two hours recently on like cozy TV. And then they stopped it. But for the last eight months, every Sunday night for two hours, they say to Steph, the monsters are on. I got to watch the monsters. I love, And I could watch those episodes over and over again. And you would take the monsters over the Adams Family yes. seven days a week. Totally. The monsters what was are it? it. Why do people love this show so much? What? I don't Fred Gwynn, the whole cast. Yeah. Grandpa. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, Kevin I, has an amazing... Woof, woof. Kevin has this Fred Gwynn story that I'm going to do it no justice. Please. I'll give you the 30-second version. When he was a kid, he wrote to to Fred Gwynn because um, he found out he was an artist. And years later, um, Fred was being interviewed, 
and Kevin had opportunity to tag along with the interviewer. And he sat there and the interviewer's doing the interview and Fred Gwynn's sitting there and he's looking at Kevin. He keeps looking at me. He goes, did you? And he said, I brought a picture of him. He said, oh, I drew this picture of you. And he said, I used to send you pictures as a child and you were nice enough to comment on them and give, give me encouragement. I was a Munsters fanatic. So great to meet you. And he's like, all right. And the interview is going on and he looks over at Kevin and he keeps looking at him and all of a sudden in the middle of the interview, like 20 minutes later, he goes, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. And he remembered him writing him letters as a kid. And then Kevin ended up doing the true Hollywood story or, or biography about Fred Gwynn and they became dear friends. Isn't that awesome? Fred Gwynn was an amazing actor. Yeah, and he what was. he did in that outfit, that suit, the facial expressions, and the first season or so, they had to find Herman's way because he wasn't so lovable and dumb mm. and kind of like like a child. Mm. He, he became childlike as the series went on. And uh, my favorite TV show of all time, Fred Gwynn, uh, The Monsters. This was still at the top of his game in the and the My Cousin Vinny oh, turn, yeah. right? Great and performance. What is a Ute? Yeah, to, to and what? of course, <laughs> Car 54 was just a mm. brilliant what, show. You know, what freaked me out was learning that um, Al Grandpa Lewis, was he the brother of Guy Lewis, the, the University of Houston basketball coach? Oh, no and idea. And the, the guy who brought... University of Houston to the championship, you know, Akeem Olajuwon and uh, Clyde, uh, not, yeah, Clyde Drexler, Drexler, right? Yeah. Fly Slam and Jamma. And uh, Al Grandpa Lewis was, he had this other life as a basketball scout. Oh my God. And so, like, very, very high that. level stuff. Huh? Very high level stuff. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. So, you didn't know that, Chachi. I had no idea oh. about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so, uh, maybe it was the, it, I don't know why it, the, uh, the Adams family f- scared me a little bit more, but I, I was somehow drawn to it. Maybe because I kind of, if I was in a room, the old sort of, you know, Ginger Marianne, would I go with Morticia or with Lily? I'd probably go with Morticia. Mm. Well, I do love the Adams family. Okay, all right. I want, my, I want this to be made like, clear. Yeah, no, I love the Adams family, <laughs> and uh, but I'm a, 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 a Munster's total fan. I have the box set at home, and when I was a kid, I had the thing uh, bank. You know, you put a penny on it. And um, oh, the hand, the hand would come oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that was the Adams family. Well, no, I'm confusing thing now. That's uh, that's the Adams family. And which was cousin it? Cousin it was cousin it was Adam it. Adams family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, thing would get the mail. That would be the <laughs> yeah, Adams. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. That's so cool. But uh, totally love Fred Gwynn and the Monsters. I think well, I mean, you, you love the Monsters because they had the Beatles episode. Of course, the Standells episode, singing go. "I yes. Want to Hold Your Hand," there and you I go. play that on my show every yes, you do. every <laughs> Halloween. Yes, you do. Uh, I find it a reason to play the Monsters on my yeah, radio that's show. Awesome. So, Maddie, such a pleasure oh, to have you on. We so got to do this again. Thank you, guys. Please. And, uh, thank you. We're going to start a new podcast here, Professor. The Beatles and the Occult, and it will be us three <laughs> to talk about uh, that is that is an, uh, that is a whole episode in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever both. been with a dead body before? Yes, unfortunately. And have you have you ever smelt death? Because I never have. I uh, not in a medical situation, but I was I was near. Well, yes, on a few occasions, yes. It's amazing because I was like eight years old in Cambridge and. Uh, down the street from my house, it was an apartment building, and we all ran down the street because the police were there because a guy shot and killed himself in the mm. parking lot. Mm. And I'll never forget that I ran down. He was covered in a blanket, but he had his arm was out mm. uh, uh, from the blanket, and, uh, and he was holding a gun, and he was dead. He apparently was going to get a divorce, and he killed himself. And I'll never forget that the fire department came in with a hose and just sprayed his brains to the side, and mm. they were all on the fence. Wow. And... Uh, 
those things just they yeah. they never leave your mind. Yeah, I saw a violent the aftermath of a violent death like that too, and it stays with you definitely. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Way to bring us down, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I do like to talk about death, I'm only basically because it's the most scariest thing. Because I really don't want to die. It's the fundamental question, isn't it? I'm afraid of dying. It does, now, everything else is semantics. Yeah. Everything else that we deal with is semantics. It's all about. We usually what's t- we don't usually yeah. talk about death just in a vacuum. Like, do you want to die? Of course, you don't want to die. It, it, to me, it's those moments, and maybe Chachi, you do the same thing. When you stop and think about what it's going to feel like, that's what freaks yes. me out. I want to know what that's going to feel like, and if it feels like absolutely like my dad says, he's my dad's very like black and white. But it feels like nothing. Like it's mm-hmm. like you're, you're gone, and that's even worse because then we're like, where am I? It, I, I don't, uh, don't want to go. Yeah, you right, know, I right. I love to eat. I love to. I want to well, be alive. Well, the good news on that, Chachi, and this is back in kind of Monsterland stuff, is that when you talk about what they call NDEs, near death experiences, yes, um, to a man and woman, people who have experienced NDEs, uh, earnestly don't want to return here. Really, they think they don't. They think they want to stay here, and then they experience the NDE, and they are. Do not want to be back here. Because they want to be there. And there's the there's the comedian uh, Kinnison, Sam Kinison, yeah. who died on a you know hit by a car, yeah, right, uh, in a car, car accident. accident. And and it was but how could he have known that he was? Oh, they heard him saying while he was lying on the ground, uh, "I I don't want to go. I want to stay. I want to yeah, stay." Something yeah. like that. And then yeah. he passed. Um, but I am afraid of dying. The NDEs, if, read a book on NDEs and you'll be comforted, you know, because of this, like uh, Woodward, the, the journalist uh, in Iraq was blown up and watched, he watched himself being worked on by EMTs. From and, above? Yeah, yeah, from a distance and from above. And Bob there's Woodward. all kinds of studies about this. I don't know if it was Bob, it was the other, it was a younger one. Okay. It might have been Bob Woodward. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he was injured, traumatic brain injury, he was flatlined. And wow. says, watched himself pull out of his own body, watched the EMTs, could tell the emergency workers what they did in little details and everything like that. And there's tons of those cases. And he maintains like, yeah, no, I, w- I didn't want to go back. It felt so awesome where wow. I was. And really? Yeah, yeah, there's you tons know, of those. Professor, about four years ago, did you knew I was you knew I was in the hospital at Christmas about three years ago and I was close to death? Uh, oh, no. No, Chachi, tell us about it. Well, uh, <laughs> I got very, very dehydrated. And my liver and kidneys began to shut down because I didn't realize that I was that sick. Holy God. And uh, I couldn't even get my pants on at home. And I live 50 miles from Boston and I refused to go to a hospital out in Middleborough. So I had a friend come and get me to take me into Boston. And I got to Mount Auburn Hospital and they put me right into the ICU, pumped in six bottles of uh, six uh, bags of the uh, juice. Holy God. And I was in the ICU for like three days. And every day a priest would come and pray with me. And uh, luckily, I made it out. But it took mm. me six weeks to feel better. How long ago was this stretch? About four Christmases ago. Now wow. I, re- I remember God. sort of that Jeez. time, but you you were not as forthcoming with all of the details. I was so freaked out because I'm in the hospital on Christmas Day, and it was like the Godfather. No one's there. It's uh, Christmas, and this I... BC student came in at five a.m. Mister Lepret, we got to take some blood. And he couldn't find the vein, and I thought I was gonna die. Governor Lepret, Senator Lepret. Yes. You know there was. Don't worry, Pop. We just <laughs> we didn't make it. Just not enough time. Wheel me yeah. out into uh, another room for your father, Enzo, the baker. Yeah. Chess, that was scary. Chess, just to finish the thought on Sam Kinison, the the details of this are really kind of stunning and kind of creepy. You want to hear it? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Hear it. So, so Kinison had the car accident, as you 
alluded to was a head-on collision. The the other driver, a 17-year-old, had been drinking. <clears throat> Pardon me. After the collision, Kinnison was found lying between the seats of the car. He was not killed instantly. They begged him to lie down, and he did with his best friend, Carl LeBeau, who had been in the following van, the van behind following the accident, I guess, holding his head in his hands. Initially, Kinnison appeared to have suffered no serious injuries, but within minutes, he suddenly said to no one in particular, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Lebov later said it was as, as if he was having a conversation, talking to someone else, some unseen person. Then there was a pause, as if Kinnison was listening to the other person speak. He then asked, but why? And after another pause, Lebov clearly heard him say, okay. Okay, okay. The last okay was so soft and at peace. Whatever voice was talking to him gave him the right answer, and he just relaxed with it. He said it so sweet, like he was talking to someone he loved. Chills. He then lost consciousness. There's Chills. so much of that. Chachi, were There's you... There's so much of that, Chachi, crazy. out there. Were you born at Mount Auburn Hospital? No, I was born at uh, St. Elizabeth's in Brighton. Oh, even though you are a but Canterbridgean, I, uh, you seem to go, you had, you seem like a salmon. You went back on the <laughs> I still go to Mount Auburn. You do. And even, and you All my doctors You could have had someone drop you off at Beth Israel, at, at, at Mount Mass Auburn. General. That's where my f- uh, primary care is, my urologist. All my doctors are in one building. Is uh, uh, Barbara Bach's brother uh, on the, one of your doctors? He used to be there. <laughs> he I don't used know to if be he's there. still there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know... God rest her soul, when my sister passed, uh, she was very young, had cancer, and uh, she stayed alive until her son got home from a boat cruise he was on, and then she passed after that, but I recall her lying in bed talking yeah. to people. Oh, it, it, yeah, my mother was, uh, l- listen, I'm going I'm to give you a homework assignment. Yes. Over the next month, mm-hmm. give yourself, when you can, five minutes of silent meditation reflection when you actually try to open yourself up to people in your family you've lost anyone you want to talk to like mm-hmm. you said you talk to your friend mm-hmm. clear your mind focus on your breathing ask them to participate in your life and tell me if you have any white feather moments in the next really? two months yeah five minutes it's five minutes a day it's all you need a day yeah uh, okay morning helps yeah um and then just be it's like a tuning fork chachi the tuning fork is going if the t- if you're if you're looking for it you'll find it because I need that right now, David. Well, you, you know, know what's going on in my life. I need that kind of uh, my, guidance. My brother, I think, I don't had to share this much with you. He, he was very young, comparatively, younger than I am now when he passed cancer. Three young children at the time. Mm. And Jeez. when he was, he was at home, sort of in sort of a, a hospice situation. And when he had, he was living on Long Island. And so we went down several times and he wanted me, he wanted to sort of be surrounded by it almost as if he wanted to carry this with him wherever he was going. Uh. He wanted me to cook for him, but wanted me to cook stuff we would have as kids. Wanted me to cook chorizo and peppers. It's a Portuguese thing, right? Wow. And he couldn't eat it, but he wanted to be able to maybe smell smell it Mm -hmm. and and have that sort of travel, have those sensory things travel with him and everything like that, right? So it's like if you know... You may be fearful of it, right? But if you have a negotiation with it and you know that it is coming in and imminent, is that the best way to go in an odd way? As long as you're not in terrible pain, yeah, right? Right. Then you, ha- you have to deal with the pain of those around you. At right. The same time. Yeah, right. and we've seen people go slowly, and it, it's not pretty. It's no. not easy. It's, no. it's very hard. And I am afraid of dying. I'm going to be, you know, 62 this year. 
Manajala Merga, 62 years old. We'll still love oh, you when you're 64. Shit. Chachi. Yeah, <laughs> you like that, David? Your, Thank you. Your yeah. mother is still going strong. My mother's 88, but you know she calls me up the other day? Larry, there was a bird on the, on the porch. She's Italian, you know. Yeah. Larry, there was a bird on the porch. I know it's Vivian. She came to say hello, my sister. Ah. You know, and it's like... That's very common, too. Uh, uh, you know, uh, totemistic, you know, animals um, that show up, uh, you know... People have prearrangements like the white white feather. That's you know coins is another one. Uh, tennis balls is one someone we know. The father's a tennis player. She finds tennis balls everywhere. Um, that's wow. it's all very common. Yeah, my mother's the same way about my brother. I think my mother's Italian American as well, and I think part of that is the is the standard trope of a parent never getting over losing a child. Mm. Right, but like, my mother my mother goes, I want to be with Vivian. I'm like, Ma, you have three sons. Is it three? One, two, no, four sons. <laughs> and you have like 25 grandchildren. Why do you want to leave all of them to be with Vivian? And, oh, well, I want to be with my daughter. Aww. You know, but um, it's crazy, man. It's, so, it's such a mystery. And Open yourself up to it, Josh. See what happens. I will do that. Five minutes a day, I'll open myself up. And they'll, sh- they'll show up. They'll in weird ways, ways you won't expect. You might have, you might not realize it until afterwards. Well, maybe they'll give me a lottery number. <laughs> I don't think need to hit the lottery. Doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know what I do? I give half of it to David Yaz. Yeah, and I buy you. the I buy the network from him. <laughs> we Price, are, price is going up every day. Nah, I figured as much. Now I do want to die. Okay, well, this is pod six one seven the Boston Podcast Network. We're here with Maddie Blake, the host of Monsterland. Please go and check out all the shows. I've been on Fright Night, and I oh, love yeah, I love yeah. John O'Neill with the horror mm-hmm. movies, and uh, we talked about Vincent Price. But if you're listening, go to pod617.com, Boston Podcast Network. Look at all the shows that are there, all the podcasts, and check out Monsterland. I'm going to catch myself up on them because um, New one tonight. Drop today as we record really? this. As That's we record right. this, a new one dropped today. Yeah. Okay, well, great. I'll listen to it in the car, in the car after I drop, drop the professor off at home. <laughs> and Chachi, you should know that uh, Get Back to the Beatles um, is developing a strong following on Spotify. So we've been on Spotify really? for a couple months now. Yes, yeah, so anyone who's got the Spotify app, super easy. You can search for Pod 617 and all of our podcasts come up or search for Get Back to the Beatles, search for Monsterland. Follow us on Spotify. Well, we were waiting for these numbers to go up, and now we want to ask you to please, if you have a company and you want to sponsor either Monsterland or Get Back to the Beatles, we are taking advertisers at a great price. Just talk to me, not to David Yaz. He'll charge you far too much. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, anything to say before we sign off? It's been an interesting show. It's we, been interesting. It's It's been uh, uh, frightening and enlightening yes, in today, some ways. You know, it, it very uh, uh, sponsoring... Uh, not to get all uh, uh, Jack Handy. Deep thoughts. Yeah. Yes. This Now, our last podcast was two hours long. <laughs> so this one, we could probably cut this one up and, you know, and uh, but we'll figure it out. But today we talked about George Harrison because it was his birthday this oh, month. Oh, wow. Perfect. Uh, February 25th. Yeah. And we talked about George. And now here we are talking with Maddie Blake about the afterlife and death and UFOs and Simply Fred and lots to think about, lots yeah, to ponder. And uh, I will tell you, when I was a kid, I saw Psycho at like seven years old, mm. and I I was afraid for years until mm. I could get through the night. From that movie. Psycho Psycho didn't didn't put me over the edge. It was the birds that put me over the Oof. edge. Birds. Yeah. 
just get into a phone booth. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my mother, you know, my grandmother's like, oh, Larry, birds are very unlucky. You know, birds mm. are bad luck. The Italians, mm. the birds are not, no birds on your uh, curtains, you know. Oh, that's funny. You know, can't have any birds in the house. But anyway, Maddie, a pleasure. This was so fun, this guys. This is a lot let's of fun. It, let's do it again. And when you have an experience, I want you to come on Monthly and tell your experience because you're going to have something. I'm going to start tomorrow. All right. You know, so All right. I really appreciate the insight. Thank the, you. The stories. Very, very interesting. David, thank you. wasn't that great? Professor, thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. I, I can't wait for your next episode, too. I love the show. Well, thank you so much. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Get Back to the Beatles on the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com, on iTunes and Spotify. Support all of our podcasts on the Boston Podcast Network, the brainchild of the great producer and spiritual advisor of us all, Mr. David. Thank you, as usual, Todd. Okay, guys. We'll see you on our next episode coming soon, right here on the Boston Podcast Within Without You. Very spooky. Perfect. That was appropriate on many levels after talking about George and the mystical. That's correct. Okay, you guys, have a good night. David, see you soon. Maddie, God bless. Take care. We'll see you next time on Get Back to the Beatles on the Boston Podcast Network.